This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. The book of Acts tells the story of one Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician, who practiced mysticism in the land of Samaria. He was respected from the least to the greatest in the land, as the people were amazed by his sorcery. Chapter 8 in Acts describes the story like this. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Peter, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing great signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had yet not yet fallen on any of them. But they had been baptized, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part in lot you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. That's Acts chapter 8. In the first book of Against Heresies, 
Irenaeus reminds us about Simon Mag Magus. He makes a clear connection between the Simon that is referred to in the book against heresies, that it is the same Simon, the magician, that Luke wrote about in the book of Acts. He writes this, Irenaeus against heresies, Simon the Samaritan was that magician of whom Luke, the disciple and the follower of the apostles, says, But there was a certain man, Simon by name, who before time used magical arts in that city, and led astray the people of Samaria, declaring himself as he was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This is the power of God, which is called great. When the apostles tried to build, the, build up the early church, teaching the children of God the gospel of Jesus Christ, Simon began to lift himself into authority. Paul, Peter, and the apostles spread the good news that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. We have no need of lifting another man into power. But Simon wanted power and recognition. Against heresy, as Irenaeus writes, he then, Simon, not putting faith in God a whit the more, set himself eagerly to contend against the apostles, in order that he himself might seem to be a wonderful being, and applied himself with greater zeal to the study of the whole magic art that he might better bewilder and overpower multitudes of men. <clears throat> That's against heresies. But worst, Simon became an object of worship to the people. He did not declare himself to be God, but through examples that pointed to himself, Simon cunningly trained the people to believe that he was God by leading them into this conclusion. To the Christians that he had pulled out of the body of Christ to follow himself, Simon became worshipped as the Son of Man. Against heresies, Irenaeus writes, This man was glorified by many as if he were a god. And he taught that it was himself who appeared among the Jews as the Son, but descended in Samaria as the Father while he came to other nations in the character of the Holy Spirit, he represented himself in a word as being the loftiest of all powers, that is, being who is the Father over all. And he allowed himself to be called by whatsoever title men were pleased to address him. It's against heresies, Irenaeus. Irenaeus describes the rise of Gnosticism in the early church and their connection to the pagan gods of Greek, Roman, Egyptian, and other descent, but describes Simon himself as being the origin of this mixture between pagan god and worship of Christ. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes, Now this Simon of Samaria, from whom all sorts of heresies derive their origin, formed his sect out of the following materials. That's Irenaeus against heresies. Again in book two, Irenaeus writes, I have also related how they think and teach that creation at large was formed after the image of their invisible plumora and what they hold respecting the demurge. 
declaring at the same time the doctrine of Simon Magus of Samaria, their progenitor, and of all those who succeeded him. I mentioned, too, the multitude of those Gnostics who were sprung from him, and notice the points of difference between them, and there's several doctrines, and the order of secession, while I set forth all of those heresies which have been originated by them. I showed, moreover, that these heretics, rise, taking from their rise from Simon, have introduced impious and irreligious doctrines into this life. And I explained the nature of their redemption and their method of initiating those who are rendered perfect, along with their invocations and their mysteries. I proved also that there is one God, the Creator, and that he is not the fruit of any defect, nor is there anything ab either above him or after him. That's Irenaeus against heresies. Again in book three, he writes, Thou hast indeed enjoined upon me, my dear friend, that I should bring to light the Valentinian doctrines, concealed as their votaries imagine that I should exhibit their diversity and compose a treatise in refutation of them, Therefore have undertaken, showing that they spring from Simon, the father of all heretics, to exhibit both their doctrines and successions, and to set forth arguments against them all. It's Irenaeus against heresies. Finally, in book four, he writes, This spiritual man shall also judge the vain speeches of the perverse Gnostics by showing that they are the disciples of Simon Magus. It's against heresies. The followers of Simon began to call themselves Simonians, and teaching that their sect was the origin of the secret hidden mysteries, but did so in the name of Christianity. The unsuspecting world would attach themselves to these followers of Simon while thinking that they were simply followers of Christ but over time become seduced into becoming followers of Simon. Against her heresies, Irenaeus writes, Although they do not confess the name of their master, in order all the more to seduce others, yet they do teach his doctrines. They set forth indeed the name of Christ Jesus as if it were some sort of allure, but in various ways they introduce the impieties of Simon. And thus they destroy multitudes, wickedly disseminating of their own doctrines by the use of a good name, and through means of its sweetness and beauty extending to their hearers the bitter and malignant poison of the serpent, the great author of apostasy. That's Irenaeus against heresies. When you consider the true nature of a cult as we see today, it's very easy to identify with the world that we live in, the world that Irenaeus is describing. When approached by a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, their leader is seldom mentioned. Their advertisement for their religious sect is Christ. Their leader is simply the good stuff in the middle. What Irenaeus describes regarding the followers of Simon is exactly the same. They did not confess the name of Simon, nor did they outwardly proclaim that they had 
elevated Simon into a place of worship. But they taught his doctrines as though they were scriptural truth. And the doctrines were so closely woven into their belief system that to deny the teaching of Simon to them was to deny Christianity itself. Simon had essentially attached himself to Christ in their religious sect. When you examine the ministry of William Branham, as compared to Simon Magus, the parallels are uncanny. The early days of Branham's ministry was one of welcoming others in the Christian faith, those who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, and accepting God's gift of grace through faith. 1951, Our Hope is in God, the sermon title, William Branham says, And let's everyone now, we're here representing different denominations, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, Oh, Christian science, and probably all different types of church. But that doesn't, but that doesn't that much to God, what church you belong to. That's William Branham, our hope is in God. But while pr promoting or representing each of the denominations of cr Christian faith in his early ministry, even the Massachusetts cult, Christian science, Branham later would say that these denominations that he was representing were the very evil mark of the beast from the book of Revelation. 1965, trying to do God a service without it being God's will, he says, and now when I speak of denominations, I'm not meaning for you to be so cruel, and no, I don't mean for you, to go to, for you not to go to your church. Go to your church. What you're supposed to do but don't join with them organizations because one day I'll be telling you and prove it by scripture it is the mark of the beast and you just remember it is the mark that's William Branham trying to do God a service without it being God's will just like the days when Simon Magus traveled with the Apostles Branham uplifted Christians in early in other churches working with other preachers and evangelists as they lifted up the whole body of Christ. But over time, this was reversed. Branham never summed up his object objectives in one single statement that said, Our group is the only one which God has revealed the hidden mysteries. Attach yourself to both me, William Branham, and Christ. But it is evident that like the followers of Simon, the followers of Branham have indeed attached Branham to Christ. In other denominations of Christian faith, great men of the gospel are not attached. A follower of John MacArthur does not call himself a MacArthurite. And if someone were to fully disagree with MacArthur, he or she could easily stand against the parts of his teaching that they do not believe to be true and yet still be considered a Christian. Even the followers of MacArthur would consider them to be Christian, though some may disagree or even agree with the teachings that they find objectionable. But religious cults or sects have severed themselves from the body of Christ. They have severed themselves to a foundation. They no longer stand with the other members of the body, Therefore, they firmly stand upon their leader's attachment to Christ, good or bad. 
to deny parts of that attachment that do not fully align with the scriptures would be to deny the attachment itself and therefore deny the cult. It is an all-or-nothing type of faith which leads many to atheism when that faith is broken. Towards the end of his ministry, Simon Magus was believed to be the return of the Son of Man by his following. Though he did not outwardly proclaim himself to be such, Irenaeus describes how the teaching directly from Simon had lured the followers into believing that his ministry was the return of Christ. Interestingly, William Branham associates this particular passage of Scripture to his own ministry over 28 times in 1965, the end of his ministry. And in the years leading up to 1964, this passage of Scripture is not even mentioned. And even in 1964, this was only mentioned a handful of times. Luke 17.30 Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This was the very teaching that Simon Magus convinced his followers to believe without even knowing it. The followers of Simon had lifted the sorcerer into an object of worship, a god. The Son of Man, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Christ will one day return for his children. According to scriptures, Christ himself returns. But according to the followers of Simon and similar, this return was a supernatural bonding between their leader and Christ. Notice William Branham, 1965, the sermon, I have heard, but now I see. He says, Now it's begin to pull away, the wheats begin to be seen. This is not a Pentecostal age, this is the latter day age. This is the bride age. This is the evening light. This is when Malachi 4 must be fulfilled to follow God's pattern. This is Luke 17.30 to be fulfilled. Matthew 24, Jesus warns us of men like Simon Magus, men that will rise to convince us that their ministry and their following is the return of Christ. But to put it simply, Jesus said, watch out, it's not me. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 5, he says, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And he says that his return is not something that is to be hidden in mystery. When Christ returns, the entire heavens will be shaken, the sun refusing to shine, and the moon having nothing to reflect. There will be a sign in the heaven for all to see, not just the small little group of people with some hidden mystery that have severed themselves from all other Christians. It will be a sign written in the heavens for all to see, bringing fear to those who have denied his name or have lifted men up into objects of worship, but bringing joy to those who have kept his word. Matthew 24, later in the chapter, after Jesus describes these things to the disciples, verses 29 through 31, he says, Immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation of those days, 
The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And then he gives a parable. He says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things, you know that the end that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away.